our unofficial text was Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So we're going to jump into part two of the oneness of God, and we're going to talk about the deity of Christ, the deity of Christ. Um, you may be seated. Hopefully we'll have a voice to be able to finish tonight. But last week, we'll do a little review. Last week, we talked about the humanity of Christ, and Jesus was fully man and fully God. So we emphasized last week the humanity and some aspects of that Jesus was born. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. And whenever the Bible uses the term begotten, it's in reference to the humanity of Christ. It never says eternally begotten or eternal son, but when we talk about him being born, it is he's a human like you and me, except he did not have a sin nature. Jesus got weary. We talked about John chapter 4. He sat at the well and encountered the woman there. He wept. Our shortest verse in our Bible, he had limited knowledge. He had hungered. He marveled, he slept. He is at the right hand of God. So when we see Jesus at the right hand of God, this is in reference to his humanity. We discuss the right hand as a position of power and of glory and authority. We looked at Psalms 110 and 1, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, said unto my Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, sit thou at my right hand until... So there's a time frame of the humanity until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So we didn't mention this last week, but the until is scriptural, right? It's in Psalms. And so Paul would pull from that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom unto God, even the Father. So God, even the Father, when he shall have put all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for if put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son himself also be subject unto him, which subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So Jesus prayed, and we talked about Jesus prayed as a man. He never prayed as God. He prayed in his humanity. He, Hebrews would tell us in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and strong, strong crying with tears. And so he prayed for his disciples, and we looked at John chapter 17, that they would know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, John 17 and 3. And then we looked at John's epistle in 1 John 5, 
And we know, the second to last verse, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. And we know the antecedent for this is the true God is none other than Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at the deity, what makes Jesus God. When I was presented with the, the task to talk about the oneness of God, this, this thought kept reverberating in my mind. God is not a philosophical construct. God is God. God is not a philosophical construct. God is God. In other words, God is too big. God is too much God to be confined to man's imaginations. So our acknowledgement of Christ must not conclude with believing that Jesus was just a man. If we fail to acknowledge him as God, we are guilty of another heresy, Unitarianism. Though Jesus was fully man like you and me, he was also fully God. Our definition of God is that he's not a compilation of persons that share divinity, but rather God is complete. He's almighty. He's one, indivisible. So when we talk about the humanity, and we talk about the deity, the Bible would call this the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ. So where is the doctrine of Christ mentioned? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So notice the first word, therefore. So whenever you read the Bible and you see therefore, what do you have to do? You got to see what it's there for. So we got to go back. And so we go back really to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. So we're not going to read through 14 all the way up through 6, but I'll just kind of give you the highlights. Jesus Christ is our high priest, Hebrews 4 and 14. Jesus Christ could be touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he was tempted in our points like as we are. Jesus, as a man, was our high priest after the order of Melchizedek, warning against not hearing this teaching because of dullness of hearing. So I wish the Hebrews would have been a little bit more astute, a little more ready. Wouldn't you love to know a little more about Melchizedek? But they were dull of hearing, and so he couldn't go into that. And so it's like, come on, Hebrews. Y'all could have did better than that for us. 2,000 years later, we want to know about Melchizedek. But they were dull of hearing. So notice the writer of Hebrews' arguments from the humanity of Christ, tempted in all points like as we are. Can God be tempted of evil? No. God cannot be tempted of evil, neither tempteth he any man. Thou art my son today. I have begotten thee, time and space, and in the days of his flesh. So the doctrine of Christ is introduced in Hebrews, but then John picks up on this. 
John, 2 John 1 and 7, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and the antichrist. Look to yourselves that we look, lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth not in the doctrine of he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. He has a deity and humanity. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. This is John talking. This is the one you know that leaned on Jesus' bosom. Who was it, Lord? This is the one that God is love and so John pastoring now, he's saying, if somebody brings some other doctrine than this doctrine, I don't want you saying hello to him. I don't want you saying God bless you. I don't even want him in your house. That's what Pastor John was saying. And he says, for he that bid of him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. So if you don't accept the doctrine of Christ, John says these are evil deeds. John makes it clear in 1 John chapter 2, 2 and verse 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? What is Christ? The anointed one, the Messiah, the one that should come into the world. So if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, well, what does that make you? It makes you antichrist, right? That's what he says. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Here John is making uh, the point that the Antichrist shall come. Notice John is using synonymous phrasing here. A liar is one that denies that Jesus is the Messiah or the anointed one. Then John uses the synonymous phrase for Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. John is not saying two different concepts here. He's reinforcing the same thought. Verse 23, 1 John 2 and 23, Whoso denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So in other words, one must believe in the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ to be saved. So how could John make that statement? Well, he got it from Jesus himself. Let's look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 21. Then said Jesus unto them, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. This is Jesus speaking. You shall die in your sins. Whither I come, whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whither I go, you cannot come. Verse 23, 823. Then he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So Jesus said, except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. The he is italicized, meaning it's not um, in the text. So what Jesus was saying is, 
except you believe that I am. And so the next question to these Jews that they would ask was, well, who art thou? Who art thou? Jesus saith unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say in the judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Verse 27, notice, they understood not that he spake unto them of the Father. So John adds that commentary in 827. So here's another account where the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. The first account is in John chapter 5. Hitherto I work and then my father works. The Jews took up stones and uh, they wanted to kill him, right? And they wanted to kill him not because he just healed a man on, on the Sabbath day, but because he said God was his father making himself equal with God. So they wanted to kill him, and he said, if, except you believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So they understood not that he spake unto them of the Father. So let's look at verse 24, 824 again. He said, therefore, unto them, ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. The Bible says that they understood not that he spake unto them of the Father. So if you reread it with that commentary, this is how the verse reads. I said, therefore, unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am the Father, ye shall die in your sins. This is the part where Jesus should have said, except you believe that I am of the same essence of God, you shall die in your sins. This is the part where he should have said, except you believe that I am the eternal son, come in flesh, ye shall die in your sins. But he didn't say that. What did he say? Except you believe that I am he, the father, ye shall die in your sins. So we move on in John chapter 8. He continues his discourse with the Jews. John chapter 8 and verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. They said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, John's favorite phrase there, truly, truly, pay attention. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus gets in trouble for those two words. I am. He gets in trouble for that. So you know what happens? What's the next verse say? Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Abraham saw the day of Christ, as Hebrews 11 and 13 indicates, that these all died in faith, having seen the promises afar off. So he saw the day of Christ afar off in faith. So Jewish tradition, when they said, thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? This is where someone would be considered an elder, someone who had received wisdom, 
someone who's you know, a grown person now. When you speak to elders and you talk about, hey, it's my birthday and this is how old I am. And you may talk about some of the things you got going on in your life. And that elder may say, yeah, you're just a baby. You just, you just getting started. That's what they were trying to say with Jesus. You're not, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham. You don't even know what you're talking about. And so Jesus says, well, okay, well, before Abraham was, I am. So he was making that claim of that if Exodus 3 and 14, I am, that I am claim that God told Moses. You remember in John chapter 8, John chapter 8 opens with Jews wanting to cast stones at the woman because she was caught leaving her home to be with another man. That's how John 8 opens. John 8 closes with the Jews wanting to cast stones at Jesus, but because he claimed to be the father who left his heavenly home to be with sinful man. John chapter 8 opens with Jews wanting to cast stones at a woman who went to be with another man. It closes with Jesus claiming to be the father who left heaven to be with sinful man. God with us. God with us. And so here's a nice transition from chapter 8 to chapter 9. So the Bible says, and so passed by. So he avoided the stones. He avoided being killed this time. And so then we transition to John chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from his birth. So I bring up John 9. We talked about John 4. So there's two times in which Jesus actually tells somebody that I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. The first time is in John chapter 4. We talked about her story last week, right? And so they're having this conversation, and she says, I know that when Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I that speak unto thee am he. At that moment, here comes the disciples. This is a beautiful moment, right? I that speak unto them, he. And so then the disciples come and, oh, hey, Jesus, we got a happy meal here. And, <laughs> and, and so they're like, well, Jesus, this is a Samaritan. And uh, Bartholomew, shut up. Don't say anything. He knows what he's doing. Don't say anything. Okay, I'll, I'll be quiet. Okay, Jesus, we've got some food here. The woman leaves her water pot there. And what does she do? She goes into the city, and she says those famous words, come see a man, come see a man, which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? Come see a man. Isn't that our testimony? Dead in trespasses and sins, broken relationships, ruined our lives. But then Jesus comes. He reveals himself to us. And so then we can have the testimony of, how'd your life get all straightened up? How, how will you have such peace and such joy? Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. 
Is this not the Christ? So that's the first instance. So the second instance is found in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And John chapter 9 is going to get me in trouble because this is such an amazing passage. And so Jesus passed by. He sees there a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked the question that Job's friends asked. The Pharisees thought, so this theology of bad things happen to bad people because they're bad still permeated the thought process of the day. And so the disciples asked, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What did Jesus say? Neither this man nor his parents that he was born blind, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him while his day and the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He makes uh, clay, he spits on the ground, puts on the blind man's eyes, and tells him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. He goes to the pool of Siloam, wash, and receives his sight. And so then the neighbors, they see this man, and they see, is this not he which sat and begged? Isn't, isn't that, it kind of looks like him. Um, and some said, well, that's, that, that is it, that is him. Others said, ah, he's like him, not, not quite him. But look what the blind man said. He said, I am he. I am he. Have you ever had somebody that tries to take away your testimony? Say, aren't you the one that used to be on the corner doing that stuff? And some would say, well, that's like him. He's too cleaned up for that. That's like him. But you have to say, well, that was me. I was on that corner. I did have that bottle in my hand. So something transformed in my life. That was me. And so then the next question happens is, well, how were thine eyes open? And here's his famous reply. A man that is called Jesus. I, I just love just their, their lack of knowledge of who he is is just so... Gives you revelation. A man that is called Jesus, he made clay, put it on my eyes, go to the pool, wash. And they say, well, where is he? I don't know. So then they uh, tell the Jews, they tell the religious police, the Pharisees, they got to come and, okay, well, let's examine this miracle here. What's, what's going on here? Um, how were thine eyes open? He rehearses the story yet again. Um, and so he's going back and forth with them. And they, they, they just keep interrogating him. How, what, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And you can see this man is getting kind of annoyed. I've told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore will you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? The Bible says they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Here's one of the best Bible studies that a blind man gives. The Bible study of a blind man said, why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began. This is the blind man's testimony. 
since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? When the blind man was born, his parents may have told him about the story of, hey, let me tell you about the story of Jeroboam and speaking against the prophet. And so the prophet uh, withered his hand, and so his hand was withered up, and he prayed and said, Jeroboam, uh, I entreat your prophet, please uh, reverse this. And so he prays, and then his hand is restored. And so that blind man says, wow, a guy was wi- a healed of his withered hand. Yes, sir. Yeah. But were there any blind eyes open? Is there any hope for me? Son, I, I, I don't see anything in the, in the Bible where he opened blinded eyes. But it does say he heals all our diseases, so maybe, son, there's going to be hope for you. Dad, can you tell me another bedtime story? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a story about a woman that she had her son and she died. The, the child died. The child died. Yeah, the child died. And so the prophet came and stretched himself over that child and prayed, and the child was revived. The child was revived? You, the child was dead and lived again? Yes, the child lived again. But, Dad, are there any stories of a blind eyes being opened? No, no stories. But a man that is called Jesus. A man that is called Jesus came and opened his eyes. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They had it at that point. They said, thou was altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? They, Brother Turner, they kicked him out of the church. They kicked him out of the church. They cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And instead of comforting him and saying, I'm sorry, you were cast out of First Jerusalem Church. Um, he didn't say that. He said, "Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And I, I, I didn't see this before. It's one of those things that just, well, duh, it's there. This is, Jesus' reply is this. Thou hast both seen him. This man was born blind. One of the first sights he would see is Jesus. Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Do you think the, the blind man had to, well, the Pharisees said that you're a sinner. I don't know if I can believe that you're the Messiah. I, I don't know if I can believe that. What did he do? The Bible says, Lord, I believe. And he obeyed the Pharisees' command to worship God because he worshiped Jesus. John chapter 10. Jesus is, this is going to be the last time he's doing a public discourse. So John chapter 10, he's talking about, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I have sheep uh, 
that are of another fold. Um, I'm going to bring those together. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so Jesus is speaking in John chapter 10 and verse 30. I and my father are one. I and my father are one. Jesus might as well have said, I am at this point. It's the same thing. I and my father are one. And so when Jesus says, I am, what do the Jews do? They cast in stones. So Jesus at this time is, you know what? Time out. Time out. Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? And they said, for good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Thou, being a man, makest thyself God. What were they having trouble with? They were having trouble with the doctrine of Christ, the humanity and the deity of Christ. And so here's Jesus. He says, I, Jesus answered, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of whom the father have sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest because I said, I am the son of God. What did Jesus say? I and my father are one. Jesus said they, they were claiming to blaspheme. He was claiming to Blaspheme because he said, I am the son of God. So he's referring to Psalms chapter 82 and verse 6, contrasting uh, judges who judge unjustly. That's the contrast Jesus is making. These unjust judges, he calls them gods. How much more the one that is sent into the world, thou blasphemest because I said, I am the son of God. So he continues even further. If I do not the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works. That you may know then believe that the father is in me and I in him. Jesus never says that the son is in me. Six times the father is in me. But not one time does he say the son is in me. Why? Because we're talking about deity and humanity. The son reference to humanity. Paul would say, 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, to wit or to know that God was in Christ. God was in Christ. You could say the father was in Christ. Your, your theology is okay. That's Bible. Jesus said it six times. Paul knows theology too. He's good. To wit or to know that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, but let's look at, rewind back just a little bit to, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4. 
As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. There's none other God but one. These are Corinthians now. He will go on in verse 6. But to us, there is but one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? Is that, that's what it says? But to us, there is but one God, the Father. But to us, Paul is including himself with the Corinthians. Paul was a Jew, right? And so as a Jew, when you're born, Bible verse 1, you're going to learn. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The next day, you're going to hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You're going to hear the Shema over and over and over again. And so when Paul was preaching to the Corinthians, he didn't abandon the Shema. He understood that, well, now Jesus is that one God manifest in the flesh. So he could say, but to us, there is but one God, the Father. He doesn't stop there, though. Deity, right? There is but one God, the Father, and of whom are all things, and we in him, in him we live and move and have our being, right? Acts chapter 17. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Deity, humanity, in the person of Jesus Christ. God didn't send another person. God came himself. I was uh, listening to some, some arguments of the Trinity, and they say, well, how could someone believe in one God? God is love, and so how could one not believe in multiple persons in the Godhead? How could you love if there's no one else to love? And my reply to that is the same way a holy God could be holy. There doesn't have to be unholiness for God to be holy. God said, I'm holy. Well, how could you be holy? Because I'm God. I'm too God for it to fit in your imagination. Just let me be God and you be man. So my reply to that, and musicians come, is how could a God say he loves me and just send someone else to come redeem me? How could he send someone else to redeem me? Love would be that I'm going to come myself. I'm going to come down to this broken world and redeem fallen man. I don't have to do that, but I, I love him. 
I love them so much that I will become one of them. So much so one of them that I will not be ashamed to call them brethren. I will be God with them. And I'll be hated. I'll be despised, rejected. But there's going to be some that receive. And for that some that will receive me, it's going to be all worth it. So I will come, spend 33 and a half years on this earth doing miracles, signs, wonders, declaring that I am the God that created all of this, came into creation to save my creation. David was saying in Psalms chapter 8, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man, that thou shouldest visit him. God visited us. That's the God. Not a God who said, well, I'm just going to send just this part of me. God said, I'm going to send all of me. All of me. To wit or to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. To the Ephesians, Paul would say, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father is above all, through all, and in us all. When you receive his spirit, you don't receive just a, a third of, of God. Paul would say in Colossians, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul was persuaded. He said, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Why was Paul so passionate about this? And if we could all stand. Acts chapter 9. He was a persecutor of the church, right? He was zealous persecuting this church. He said, I persecuted that way, compelling those to blaspheme. Then a light above the brightness of the sun shone. He fell down and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul, you're zealous. Saul, you got passion. Saul, you know your Bible. Why are you persecuting? 
Who art thou, Lord? Saul has no business calling someone Lord as a monotheistic Jew. Who art thou, Lord? What was the reply he got? I am Jesus. I'm not another God. I'm the God that you serve from your forefathers. I'm the same God. I'm just come in flesh. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. In Acts 90, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. So you may have people that are just totally opposed to, you believe in that one God stuff? Oh, that's heresy. But at night, God is pricking. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Luke, Luke would record Paul's conversion three times. Anytime you record something multiple times, you're trying to bring to light that this is critical. This is important. Paul's question, who art thou, Lord? We can say it like this. Who is this? Who is this? Jesus reveals himself. I am Jesus who thou persecutest. Then Paul's second question. What do you want me to do? Who is this? What do you want me to do? Follows a similar pattern in Acts chapter 2, right? Their question, what is this? What meaneth this? Peter reveals this same Jesus whom you've crucified is both Lord and Christ. What was their next question? What do we do? What do we do? The oneness of God is not just semantics. Salvation is tied to it. That's what Jesus said, right? Except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. So, who are you? I'm Jesus. The question the illumination of who he is, and then the next move is yours. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to hold on to philosophy, vain deceit, traditions of men, rudiments of the world? Or are you going to believe that in him, in Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, bodily? We could come to the altar. What are you going to do with Jesus? That's the eternal question. What are you going to do with Jesus? Can you imagine standing on that day? someone looks at those hands, that side, and those feet, 
Paul said they're be without excuse. What are you going to do with Jesus? Who is this? I'm Jesus. What are you going to do about it? If we could just take a moment and we're we're apostolic, right? God has more to reveal to us. God has more for us to walk in. We're in this journey of sanctification, becoming like Christ. We haven't arrived. We're still striving for the kingdom. So if we could take a moment to pray. Because thank God we know who he is. Amen.